Okay. Good morning. This is Karen with New Cleveland Radio, and it's time for Avoid the Maze. And my guest, you're going to recognize the name because she's been a podcaster on New Cleveland Radio. Maybe she'll be coming back. We're going to have to talk about that. But my guest is Barbara Rose Brooker, who, uh, Barbara, you write everything from poetry to novels to doing interviews with individuals, creating a book, basically, which is a documentary. Like, don't you want to just, like, sit back and enjoy the fact that we're not going through the pandemic? <laughs> Never will sit back, Karen. <laughs> sitting back, you know, sitting back is working. Right. To not work is work. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I, I do. I do. Yes. I love, I love my work. So you and I met right before the pandemic. Um, and, you know, none of us saw that we were going to go through this change in our society. Mm -hmm. And in some areas, we've gotten so much nicer and there's kindness and then we go to other areas where you might as well forget it. They don't even know what the word nice means. And you have to remind them to go to the dictionary to look up the word kindness. Um, and I know you are sort of a homebody. You prefer sitting at your writing table or painting. Mm -hmm. You love to teach. Mm -hmm. And you've been able to do that all in your apartment Yes. Like, do you miss going outside? Do you miss being out amongst all the riffraff? No. <laughs> I'm a virtual baby. <laughs> I uh, My work does require being at home. So that part's been a blessing. Writing, um, particularly, you know, finishing books and projects. I have to be disciplined and at home. As far as the outside world, of course I love I love people. I love the outside, but I don't go into public places anymore. Um, I really think we still have to be careful. And I think the pandemic brought everybody the opportunities to work at home. Right. And so the world's changing in that regard. And also, I have seen people blossom through the pandemic because they have created work at home that they can do at home. Exactly. So, you know, Zoom, this, what we're doing, brings the world to us and we go to the world. And, you know... That is so important for people to understand. Um, I was interviewing somebody yesterday and we were talking about the fact that for most of us, for the majority of people, working from home makes them more productive than yes. when they were working in the office. Because working in the office, they would drive half hour to an hour to get to where they needed to go. Right. They were already you know, running on empty, walking into the office. So now they got to go get their coffee and their bagel or their Danish. And right. they sit down at their desk 
And maybe they're working, maybe they're not, you know, and then lunchtime comes and they've got to get out of the office because, and now when they're working at home, they're, they're able to do so much more. Yes. Just that commute alone back and forth has made us more productive in an office. Absolutely. More focused, uh, more relaxed, and your work is better. I totally agree with you. The world is changing in this regard. And there's so much we can do now through virtual. Absolutely. So you sort of told me the last time we talked, you were gathering, I believe it was interviews amongst cancer patients. Mm-hmm. Now, somebody would look at that and go, Barbara, you know, go back to writing your great fiction and, you know, all those sexual innuendos in your books. But you chose to do this. Mm-hmm. So what was what was the concept that grabbed you and said, this is important right now in my life? Well, Karen, I'm a cancer survivor. So decades ago, when I was working with people with AIDS and HIV, I became a caretaker. I went through the training at San Francisco Shanti, a wonderful, wonderful nonprofit that takes care of people, marginalized people with diseases. So seven years ago, I went to them and said, you know, we know a lot about cancer. There's, we know a lot about the new drugs and medical, but we don't really hear the voices, what people are feeling, what they're going through with cancer. I would like to start a support group and I would like to have cancer patients, women with advanced cancers and men write letters to cancer. Then I would like to publish these letters and the money will go to cancer. So the past five years, that's what we have been doing at Shanti in this letter writing group. And then it turned out years later, the book was just released, which I titled Dear Cancer, it's an anthology of 19 letters and it came out about a week ago and I'm overwhelmed because I I don't do a lot on promotion. I just do what I can, but I'm not one of those smooth media operators. And it's just selling off the charts on Amazon. And I am thrilled, I hope it continues because these are voices of people, men and women. There's some celebrities in the book as well with cancer who are living and dying with cancer. And they really talk about their journeys, their feelings, what you don't read about. Exactly. You know, I was thinking a couple, oh, probably about a year ago. I'm very lucky. I really haven't seen cancer in my family. But then I thought about it and I was wrong because... I had uh, my maternal aunt um, kept complaining that she had pain in her arm and it started out with an orthopedic doctor and eventually 
almost too late, well, it was too late, they mm-hmm. realized she had breast cancer. They couldn't oh. even treat it oh. um, at that point. Oh. But then again, I went years, never heard anybody else in my family thinking, boy, we're dodging this bullet. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, my father-in-law for three or four years kept saying that he was having problems with his digestion. Uh, they told him he had diverticulitis. They treated him for that. Yeah. Uh, he, he comes home in the spring from being in Florida for the winter, and he's just not feeling good. And he listens to my husband and I, and he sees another doctor. And within a week, he's diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. Um, And again, you know, it was at the point where nothing was going to help. Yes. Yes. So again, I thought this was back in the eighties. I'm just really lucky. And I keep thanking my lucky stars. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a couple of years ago, we found out that my brother-in-law had um, prostate cancer and bladder cancer. Mm-hmm. They did, um, you know, radical surgery, mm-hmm. but he was never going to be the same. And just this December, he passed away. Sorry, and he passed away in the middle of my husband going through treatment for prostate cancer as well, which was found very, very early, and the treatment has been successful. I'm so happy about that. It's all the the thing with may I hold up to your cancer? Oh, yes, absolutely. Oh, beautiful. Um. The thing about cancer that I found, you know, through this work, there's still a stigma on cancer. And having worked with AIDS for so long, when the stigma was worse than, well, I shouldn't say worse, um, it it was a horrible thing, you know, homophobia stigma. With cancer, they make you feel like, oh, cancer, you whisper it, something must be wrong with you. I have found the reason it took so long to get 19 letters over a period of years is because people with cancer, advanced cancers as well, they don't want to reveal it. They said they would lose their jobs, they'd lose their partners, they would lose their insurance sometimes, they would lose this. It's the same old thing. It's it's stigma. So getting these voices out is important. I have a letter from Nigeria. I went as far as Nigeria. But what I really need to do, and I'm hoping that this book will take off, is to do Dear Cancer 2, and to have hundreds of letters, and to have people with cancer write me, send me your letters. It's on the back cover of the book. Send your letter so we can start another big journal. Well, it's amazing. I have been receiving emails and I'm hoping to reach the cancer communities for this. Yes, there are stories about cancer, but these are actual letters. And that means more to the average person. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when my husband was diagnosed, we reached out to a friend of ours who uh, a couple of years back was diagnosed with the same type of cancer, 
early on, um, he had a totally different treatment. But when we reached out to him, the first thing he said was, find somebody that you are confident with, okay? <laughs> Don't listen to what the treatment is. You've got to have that confidence with that person. Yeah. Because if you do, then your, your body's going to fight. Oh, yes. Whatever's going on. You're going to feel positive. But if you just get sent to some guy or some woman who's supposed to be the number one cancer person in your area and you don't click, you're not going to react to treatment as well. Well, that, that's the point because, Karen, it all boils down to one thing our inner life. And this is what these letters talk about. If you believe in yourself and you fight it within yourself, you will amaze. Some people will get through amazing, amazing prognosis, bad prognosis. Right. They um, The doctors can't give that. They can't give that. They're fighting to, to give you the latest chemo or the latest trials there's so much involved so much involved and they need money the cancer cancer research needs money in in our united states where we have billionaires now instead of millionaires and there's so much money thrown here there there we need more money and that's why i i did this book because i want the money to go to the cancer Absolutely. And we're hearing more about childhood cancer as well. Yes, it's it, cancer is is cancer doesn't know gender, it doesn't know race, it doesn't know it's just there to absolutely roar. So what I found interesting when you were telling me about the book, uh, and my husband was going for treatment. My husband and I made the decision because he had to go every morning, five days a week for nine weeks. Oh. Um, and because he was working, uh, he was able to go in for his treatment at 6 a.m., which meant we were getting up at 4 a.m. to get there. But I, other than one or two sessions, I went with him all the time because mm -hmm. I was partnering with him. Yes, he had the disease, okay? Yes, he was getting the radiation. But I also was living with him, so I had to understand what he was going through, experience it the best way that I can so that, you know, I understand when he's telling me that he's getting certain symptoms that I can relate to them. I can help prepare him for them. And some of them, for him were very embarrassing in the beginning. Um, you know, neither one of us think of our age as being old, but during the treatment, because it was prostate cancer, um, he couldn't control uh, his urine or his bowels. Yeah. And so he made the decision, okay, while I'm going through this, uh, I'm going to get men's depends and I'm just going to have to accept it. Mm -hmm. And so we made a game out of it. Okay, well, which style are we going to buy this month? Mm -hmm. um, and one said he, he actually drew pictures on because 
if we didn't think of it as temporary for him and make it somewhat fun, mm -hmm. uh, I think the two of us would have walked around on the verge of tears, but we knew it was temporary. And he even said to me, if it's not, he said, we're just going to have to make the most of it. And two weeks after his treatment, he started noticing these things that were bothering him during treatment. They were going away. Oh, wonderful. And and so the whole thing is in these letters, and I haven't read it yet. I'm going to have to read the book because I can't wait to hear what people are saying. Because you have to, we look at life as doom and gloom. That's yeah. all we're going to see. Isn't that the truth, Karen? And of course, what you're describing with your husband, too, is love. You know, the yeah. love between you and and the support and the positive, positive support right. is what we all need. And I believe, I, I may be naive, but I totally believe that can cure everything. I do. I think that down the line, I won't be here, but I do believe down the line this is going to be even more prevalent. There'll be more emphasis on, I don't want to use the phrase positive thinking because it's become a buzzword. Right. I don't want to use the phrase, I want to use the, the word love. And, and the thing with love, and not only romantic love, but loving yourself first and loving others, loving the higher power, having faith, all those things will lead you down a path of restoration. It's as, you, as you and I both know, okay, when we're born, we have the day we're born. We have no idea when we're going to die. Right. It could be right away. It could be years from now. It could be many, many years from now. And I have to admit, as a younger individual, um, I never thought of life being as precious as I do now. And mm -hmm. not that I'm fearing my death, but I'm realizing there are things that I can enjoy. Today, we have blue skies and the sun is out yes. in Cleveland, Ohio. He's here too in San Francisco. Okay, so we can we can appreciate that. But you've had a lot of rain in San Francisco. Oh, and cold. And you know we typically have gray skies all winter long. But a very wise person, by the name of my father, um, once told me, "The sun is out. You may not see it because it's cloudy. The clouds." are hiding the sun. If you break through those clouds, you'll see the sun. And when I started doing that, I realized I can be happy because the sun really makes me happy. Well, it's there. It's there for looking beyond. And I think that's what cancer patients do for their survival. Well, some of them do, and they, the disease immediately, when you hear the words, I'm sorry, you have cancer, your life has changed immediately. Right. 
you have changed immediately. And there are different ways to go and to handle this. This is up to the person, not the doctor. And it's very interesting to see this. I, I have, I, I had a man in my support group with stage four advanced pancreatic cancer, a prognosis of not very long. And this was five years ago. Now, what has kept him going in contrast, in comparison to the woman in my support group with stage three breast cancer who passed very quickly? You know, you, you really wonder, well, of course, there's, there's a variant of um, things, but also the man had such a, a positive, and you know, he was going, to, he said, I'm going to fight this. It's not even a question. And, it, and we saw, and we saw Alex Trebek do that on TV. Yes. Yes. You know, we all wonder, well, you talked about this years ago. Look yeah, at look you. How, look okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, none of us, as you say, Karen, none of us really knows, you know, the date of our, our death, but, um, we do know what we can do now. And I think that we have to keep the glow on in ourselves, keep the candle burning. <laughs> going, there's so many divergent paths to, to, to go on. And that's, that's the whole thing. That's the trick. So during the five years that you were putting this together, mm -hmm. um, you know, you went through the pandemic, you went through some health issues for yourself. Um, but one of the things that I've noticed about you is that, um, yeah, you may be down today because physically you don't feel good. But the next day you get yourself up and you battle through it. So I don't think you were taught that as a young person, but... Oh. But where did you get that energetic feeling that, okay, you know, I'm not feeling good, but hey, I'm alive, so I'm going to go sit down and write? You know, it, that's an interesting question, which is very loaded, of course, with a lot of things. I could say that I got that drive when I was a child because I was always taught not to succeed, that I wasn't smart or I wasn't this and I wasn't that. And I'm not putting all the blame on my poor dead mother. It was the era as well. You know, right. I, I'm, I'm going to be 87. I was born in 36. I, I, you know, married and divorced during the fifties. So it was a whole new rebirth for me. So the drive was always, well, I'm going to prove to them I can do this. So I always went for, what I wasn't supposed to do or didn't think I would be good at. And it is amazing how all of us, if we do that, what you can achieve. I mean, I certainly wasn't one of the geniuses who stood out in the in the classroom. In fact, I was always in the in the third group or the they called the dumbbell group. Oh my. <laughs> I look back when I look back. And so, as you know, Karen, so then by the time I was divorced and 
in my early 30s with two kids. I thought, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to go to grad school and I'm going to write a novel and I'm going to do this. And I gradually did it. But also we each of us has a calling, has has has, I believe anyway, has a little path of fate in us. And if you just keep going, not everything's going to work, but keep going what you really feel passionate about. Suddenly, you start to rebirth and you're like Mr. Potato Head, remember? Yep. yep. Suddenly, we're this person. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting how you put that because um, I was asked not too long ago, I was being interviewed and somebody said, um, so what makes you think that you can be a podcaster. I said, well, I've been doing it, but I know that's not the answer you're looking for. I said, what made me think and know that I could do it is I wanted to, and I was willing to learn. I was willing to see if what I was doing wasn't working, see how I could change it mm-hmm. because it's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be in broadcasting since I was 18 years old. And this is broadcasting. You did it. And you did it at what? How old were you when you started? Um, so I started about 12 years ago. So you were ahead. I was 60, I was 61 years old. Only did you have to deal with ageism, which I don't care what anyone says, is one of our huge, huge social issues. So I that got me out of my job that I love so much. Okay. As I've told people, I worked uh, for a private college. Um, I worked with students. I didn't teach, but I worked with students and helped them develop their path. Basically doing what I'm doing in coaching now, listening, finding out. I mean, everybody came and said they wanted to be a nurse. The reality was they didn't need to be a nurse. They loved helping people so I could show them other careers that would do that as well. Especially if you're coming in saying you want to be a nurse, but you don't like the sight of blood. You know what? Nursing is not for you. Okay. Um, And when I finally left corporate America, my first thought was what can I do? And I just turned to my husband and I said, Um, It's not going to make any money initially, but I'm going to start podcasting. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, who are you going to get on your podcast? You did. And I said, I don't know yet, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to get people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I started out with something that's very much like my current uh, podcast, Avoid the Maze. Mm -hmm. But let me tell you, I've gone it's so much different at this point. It's the same type of concept I wanted back then. Yes. But now I'm not afraid to go to somebody who back then I would have thought, oh, you know, they're too woo-woo for me or they're too high up the ladder. No, yeah. there is no ladder, folks. We are really on an even keel. But uh-huh. we have to be the ones not to let it teeter. Oh, Karen, you're an inspiration to me, too. I mean, I was on your podcast 
several times, well, quite a, when I was, you know, publishing my other books. Right. And you were so supportive. You were, you've been supportive. And through your podcast, my age march took off yes. and a lot of things. It's, it's so, you know, you're doing coaching and podcasting. They kind of go together. They do. They do. And you know, what it's done for me, and I'm going to tell this, and I'm sure your writing has done this for you. It opens up all of those feelings that we have inside. Yes. And it allows us to heal. You heal along with your readers. Yes. I heal along with my clients. Yes. And I had a gentleman on yesterday. Within five minutes, he was my best friend. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I wish he didn't live on the West Coast because mm -hmm. it would be so much nicer if he lived closer. That's how spectacular our connection was. And when you open yourself up to people like you have, people are drawn to us because mm -hmm. we're open. We, you know, some, of, these, some of the can cancer patients initially probably didn't want to open up, but you had something to share with them. You had a platform for them to share. And they helped me open as well, because anything that we do is an exploration. And in exploration, we're going to, you know, gradually open a little here and there. So when I look back, I mean, they were helping me. Who was I? I thought here I was a survivor. And they were dealing with, you know, with hard, hard, hard stuff and hard lives. And um, they helped me. So it's, it's, it's a communication. It's a connection. And, and we learn so much from each connection. And it's the same with your work and my work. It's, you know, each book I do, I, I'm a different person. So the writing's going to be different each time, I hope. <laughs> you know, there's always some bad books between the good ones, but you have yeah, to- Not wait. necessarily bad, just not right for the time. That's all. Right for the time or, or not as, as powerful or, you know, just various, various things because we are, our work is us. That's it's, right. We are. We're as good as my books are as good as I am. In other words, it's the same with all of us with work. You know, you talk about work too, Karen. I I believe that with the pandemic, and I've always said this, people who are at home now, there's so many women, I'm sure you've met them as well, who say to me, women in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s who have said to me, oh, I lost my job or I'm not working and I don't know what to do and I don't know. And I just keep saying, I don't care whether you try a new recipe, whether it's a cookie or a cake or you're making jewelry or you're making whatever, go sit in front of your computer and put it on the internet. I've seen businesses take off since the pandemic. Absolutely. I'm sure through social media. Okay, I don't know how to do social media. I'm terrible at it. Well, then get somebody to help you. 
and put it on. I mean, look at the 95-year-old woman on TikTok, you know, who has a, a, a book deal and a movie deal now because she was dancing almost naked on TikTok. <laughs> I have ways to go. <laughs> and, you know, one of the things I've also learned over the years is that being vulnerable can really make us grow. Uh, one of my podcasters, who's also one of my coaches, um, on her show, right from the beginning, I was, and we used to call me the guinea pig, because she would talk about certain things, and then she'd say, you know, how does that relate to you? Or do you understand where that's going? And all of a sudden, like, my body would just like spit it out. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I've gone back and listened and it's like, boy, my heart and soul is out there, but that's okay because I want people to know me for who I am. Okay. Yeah. Not just, you know, a 73 year old woman who, okay. So she sits in front of a computer and she does a couple of shows today and maybe she has got a couple of clients, but you know what? That's more than a lot of people are making an attempt to do even in their 30s and 40s. Oh, this that's usually mostly the case. Karen, every podcast I did with you, I have on my website by date and title. And sometimes I'll go back and listen and I think, God bless Karen. I mean, we were talking about some heavy duty things, you know, and but I love listening to them. I really do. It's exploring. Well, and you learn from each other. You do. And, you know, I've done that with a number of my guests. In fact, on Monday, I had a young man who, when I read his bio, I just knew I had to have him on my show. Mm -hmm. um, he happens to be on the autism spectrum, but he was never told that growing up. He knew he had as they would say in his IEP meetings, that he had deficits. And when you're being told all the time that you have deficits, like either you're going to try to prove, hey, I don't, or yeah. wow, if, that, if I can't do that, well, then I guess I can't. Uh-uh. We shouldn't talk about that people can't do things. Can't There's a way to do everything. And the word can't. And I can't stand the word spectrum. Have you seen the show on the spectrum? Yes. Okay. Steve Spitz, who's now on there, he's a very close friend of mine. He should be on your podcast. Absolutely. I'll call Steve. I just, okay. You know what's amazing? I saw Steve recently at Pete's and I said, Steve, you're a star now. He said, Barbara, I walked down the street. People who never even talked to me before. They want my own brain. Well, it's that's the interesting part that when we label somebody that's by, yeah. by their disease, by a syndrome, by their age, um, by the way they wear their hair, as right. soon as we right. put them in this little clump, define them by those little labels. It's disgusting. And Even you know, and we've talked about this. My youngest son all the way through high school and college, um, he had this label on him mm -hmm. because 
uh, you know, he has autism, but he's at the a very high level. And mm -hmm. if you didn't tell him, if he didn't tell you, you wouldn't know it. Okay. Mm -hmm. But back in the nineties, when he was diagnosed, the school thought, oh, this is great because we're going to let him every year reintroduce himself. And he became known as the boy who has autism. That's terrible. And at first it sounded like a great idea. This They were going to integrate him. And Well, I went back through some notes about a month ago. He was diagnosed at six and a half. He had gotten all the way through preschool, not identified. All the way through kindergarten, not identified. Halfway through first grade, identified. Mm -hmm. I don't want to blame it all on the school or all on the doctors, but it was, you have to tell people. I know. I don't know. I totally think the labels are horrible. We're still in the dark ages. Right. I really believe that, Karen. We're in the dark. It's segregation. And it it's, it's at its worst. And, you know, Steve and I have talked about that, too. And he resents very much that that label. It, it's just terrible. And it's the same thing. You know, doing this cancer book, I was shocked to find out and through my work at Shanti, how people with cancer are labeled and defined. I would hear the stories, you know, this woman having her, her chemo was let go at her job and they, you know, and this one and that one. And it's how they feel about themselves. They feel, I wanna hide or I, I don't want people to know. Why, why is that in our, in our culture? Why is that? You know, the only thing that I can think of is um, I know growing up, my maternal side had uh, come over from Russia at the beginning of the century, okay? My father's family came over from Russia maybe about 10 or 20 years prior to that. So his parents were American born and, you know, first generation. But I think what I was learning when I was growing up was the reason that my grandparents came here and all these other people immigrated to the United States was that we were this loving country that took you in and the streets were paved of gold because you could work, you could get jobs. But when I listened to the history of my grandfather's side who came in earlier, when his his father came over, he couldn't get a job for the life of him. Mm -hmm. He found a cousin who helped support him and his wife and his kids. Uh, so he spent all day in study because, hey, you know, nobody's going to hire me. When my grandfather, I believe he was like 12 or 13, had to go to work because the cousin finally said, okay, you now can support your family. So what kind of job do you get at 13 or 14? Mm -hmm. But my grandfather used to say, I heard that the streets were paved of gold. I kept working to find the gold. Mm -hmm. And we have to redefine it. It's well, not necessarily the gold. It's I kept working to find the gold. That's what it's about. Exactly. We 
as human beings, no matter what we're doing, if we have to be, you know, in a nursing home in bed, our minds can still do so much. Right. You know, exactly. The spirit, the mind, you know, it sounds a little bit corny. It sounds a little bit, mm, I mean, I don't, I, I hate that. It sounds a little do-gooder stuff, but it, when you do find it, it really works. It absolutely does. And, you know, not, not to talk about age, but you know what? Yes, you're going to be 87, Barbara, but you have the spirit of, of life. So it makes no difference what those numbers are. And that's what I finally decided somewhere in my late 60s. You know what? I can brood about the fact that I'm 65 and I'm Medicare or 69 and I can't get a job. I could do all that. But you know what? I'm finding other things. And absolutely out there, my husband, who has beat cancer, he's 73 years old, got a full-time job. Fabulous. In his field. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Now, it took years, but he did it because he kept he kept and pounding the pavement. He wanted to. It's all about wanting to. I don't even know why AGE is ever mentioned in anything, in anything, because it means one thing. We're alive. We're breathing. So why talk about it? Why are they talking about um, President Biden's age? Yeah. I mean, come on. Or Diane, Senator Diane Feinstein. I hope she works as long as she wants to because she she is brilliant and she adds something, but they're picking on the age. Yep. Our culture is so behind the times or something. Ageist, an ageist culture, I'm sick of it. Absolutely. Well, hold up your book again. Oh yes, thank you, Karen. I will, I will. And it's called Dear Cancer. It's got those beautiful flowers on it. And how can people buy it? Where okay. can they find it? Is they go to Amazon and they put in the search bar, dear cancer with a comma, because there's okay. a dear cancers, Barbara Rose, R-O-S-E, because I'm not going by Brooker anymore with my publications. Okay. Your novel that will be out probably won't be out for about a year, but it's going to be Rose will be the last name. Okay, so that's how they get it. And um, the flowers mean hope and bloom. They're a Hawaiian flower. That's why I love I it. The flowers. And um, thank you, Karen, for well, thank you. You're going to have to come back on again because we're going to. I always love being on your show, and I and love. I think there's something else that maybe you're writing for the future that we could talk about in the future. Yes. Oh, yes. So, oh, I'm really hoping. And yes, thank you, Karen, so much. Well, it's been wonderful. And, you know, all I can say to all the listeners out there, stop brooding if that's what you're doing. If you're sitting around saying I can't do things or I feel sorry for myself or Barbara's doing it, Karen's doing it, I can't do it. I don't believe in the word I can't. Oh. I used to, not anymore. And success 
We all have a different definition of it. We can all have it. Right. We can all have it. Just Absolutely. Take those cookies and put them on um, Instagram. <laughs> Absolutely. An influencer. I just want to say one thing. A neighbor of mine, 88 years old, took out her mother's recipe and she's packaging these cookies. She put them on Instagram and now a few stores have bought them. So oh, they're how wonderful. Yes. So there's always an opportunity. You just have to be there to take it when it's available. Oh, yes. Go, go, go. Karen, you're my friend forever. Oh, I love it. Give well, my love to your daughters and, well, and, and to the puppies. You know, your favorite puppy that I saw you sitting with on Facebook. Oh, the dogs. Oh, yes. Better than people. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't want to say that today. So have a great one. I'll talk to you soon. Take Bye. care, though. Bye.